Welcome to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder, job, job hunting, hunting in, in veterinary, veterinary medicine. medicine. Well, folks, it's that time of year again. Students are graduating, veterinary technicians are being loosed upon the world, and we're all looking for a change. When it comes to finding that perfect job in veterinary medicine, though, what does that look like? This week, we are going to explore what employers are looking for in those new graduates and those new veterinary technicians, what you should be looking for in your new employer, and how can you land that perfect job? I'm your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm Becky Mosser, Registered Veterinary Technician. And I'm excited today that we can introduce to you Ms. Heather Prendergast. She's joining us today from Las Cruces, New Mexico. Heather's a Registered Veterinary Technician, but additionally, she's a Certified Veterinary Practice Manager. And she also has a credential, which is a Senior Professional Human Resources Certification. Ms. Heather, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, first, let me say thank you for inviting me to this wonderful podcast. I'm happy to be a part of it. And just like you said, Becky, I'm a registered veterinary technician. I've been in the veterinary industry for over 25 years, working in small animal practices. And now I provide consulting services to practices around the United States, in addition to writing a few for, for a few articles for publications and lecturing everywhere throughout the United States and something I dearly love of being able to give back to our veterinary team members and especially our technicians that are out and graduating this year. Well, you know what they want to hear, Heather. They want to find out from you and from us how to land that perfect job. So what's your first bit of advice for that new graduate? There's somebody in veterinary school out there listening right now, and they are navigating the waters of employment. Maybe they've already taken a job or having second thoughts on this. Maybe they're just now embarking upon this whole process. What's that one thing that you would like to tell that young veterinary graduate right now? Well, gosh, there are so many different things that we can talk about, but let's start with that resume. To me, that resume is the first piece that draws any attention to you. So the, the resume really has to be perfect. It has to be grammar checked. It has to have no spelling errors, and it really needs to have a nice chronological order. But remember, cover letters and resumes, you have 30 seconds to make an impression between the two of them. So they have to be dynamic. Yeah, and Heather, I think you're being generous with that 30 seconds because as a long-time practice owner, I can tell you it's like the four-second rule of first impressions for us. If it doesn't look good on the surface, I mean, just the, the font choice even, we're kind of like, uh-oh. And that's that brings me back. Cindy, I know you're a big fan of some of these Comic Sans resumes. <laughs> uh, I can't say that I'm a fan of <laughs> in the first place, it seems like there are a couple in-between steps there that involve 
a bit of networking, a bit of getting that person to know you or pay attention to that resume in the first place. Would you agree with that? Or yeah, yeah, I'd love to weigh in on that and get Heather's opinion as well. First of all, uh, an unsolicited resume to one of our clinics, uh, probably our practice managers are not going to be that interested. You know, most of the, the, the hires that I have done over the years have kind of come through a couple of different ways. The first way is that student reached out to me, to Laura, my wife, to someone in our, our organization and said, you know, I'm really interested in coming to your area. I'd like to learn more and work with you guys. So there's this sort of this first step that they took. And I would encourage you, if you're out there listening today and there's a job you want, don't hesitate to pick up the phone. Sure, you may get voicemail. Sure, you may just be told to send an email, but make that first step if you're really interested. The second way that we've gotten a lot of really great hires over the years is through that recommendation of a trusted ally or friend, meaning that they reached out to someone they knew knew us within our inner circle, and they said, hey, you really ought to look at Sheila. You know, she's a great new grad from Auburn, uh, and, and maybe take a look at her resume. Heather, what have, what have been your experiences? I agree with you, Ernie. Unsolicited resumes that just happen to come in the mail don't draw that much attention. But if somebody has mentioned this person or I've had some type of contact with this person at a conference or through email or on the phone call, just as you mentioned, I think those are very critical steps in opening that door. Just sending a blank email or a blank resume that uh, is not really intended for any direct person in the practice usually gets tossed to the side. My very first job, it was actually a listing for an experienced veterinarian position. And I called them up and said, I was a veterinary assistant before I became a veterinarian. I'm a pretty confident new grad. Would you at least be willing to meet me and talk with me? And I showed up there and several of their employees I had actually worked with as a veterinary assistant and it ended up being a really good fit. So that definitely worked for me. Becky, what worked for you in terms of getting positions in, in your field? So I don't know if it's a, a great thing for the profession, but it was a good thing for me. Where I live, there is a shortage of credentialed technicians um, available. And so when you approach a practice and have a credential, they're very eager to at least get an interview with you and get you in the door. And um, so for me, it was just sort of a matter of going um, to practices in an area where I was going to be relocating and bringing my resume and saying, hey, I'm a credential technician and I'm going to be re relocating to the area. And there was a lot of practices that were eager from there um, because, again, just based on my credentials. So from there, it was sort of finding the right place and the right fit. And I think, unfortunately, for a lot of places, there's a shortage of technicians. And so um, it's it can be a matter of getting that right person into the right practice and it can be hard and we face a strong um, burnout in the profession and, and sometimes I wonder if we're not able to make that match just because we don't have enough technicians. Becky, I think you're absolutely right. We can't make the match because it just, they're not there. Um, but Heather, let's get back to this sort of initiating first contact. Why do you think so many young veterinarians, young veterinary technicians are hesitant to pick up the phone or even draft an email? Well, you know, Dr. Ernie, I think that a lot of it just has to do with the lack of confidence and they're not quite sure how to reach out or how to make that positive contact and so therefore they're just very hesitant and they would rather just send out a blanket resume and cover letter with the hope that it's going to grab somebody's attention but I think overcoming that fear is one of the most important pieces because as you said making that first piece of contact, whether it's through email or we try to make a phone call, it just makes such a difference. Yeah, and Heather, I'd like to get your take on this as well. You know, Laura and I have always said that the resume, the actual, you know, curriculum vitae part the, where you list all your experiences and jobs, 
that's really secondary. What we're most interested in is the cover letter. We want to get an idea of how you communicate, you know, like you say, you're, you're the confidence. We want to know what you're all about because if you can't describe what you're trying to do or accomplish or what you can bring to my organization in a couple of paragraphs, you're probably not going to fit in. So I'd love to get your opinion on the power of the cover letter. I agree with you 100%. The soft skills in my practice, the soft skills are what I hire for. They've been trained, everybody's been trained on those hard skills, but they haven't necessarily been trained on those soft skills such as communication and work ethic and professionalism. And all of that can be expressed in the cover letter. And that's a great place to highlight many of those soft skills that people are sometimes often don't feel that they should showcase. They, they feel that their resume should be very powerful and the hard skills and tasks that they can complete. But to me as a practice manager, those soft skills are much more important. Yeah. And whenever I talk with veterinary students, I try and emphasize to them the importance of those soft skills that all of us are probably foremost, not only looking for a good vet, but looking for someone who's going to be a good person to work with. In everybody's experience, how do you evaluate that when that new applicant walks in the door? How are you trying to figure out if that person's going to be a good fit for your practice? That is a good question. And again, I go back to the soft skills that that, present, that person is presenting to me. Again, do they walk with pride? Is there, can I tell by looking at their body posture that their glass is half full, not half empty? Do I see that they have a smile on their face and that their personality exudes confidence? And I want something that is a positive confidence, not something that's too authoritative or overconfidence, because I think sometimes that hurts the client connection that we're really looking to, to build for. So I really do pay attention to all of those soft skills when I am doing the interview. The other thing that I want to throw in about an interview that Becky touched on just a little bit before is the interview is a two-way process. That interview is for you to make sure that this job is going to be a right fit for you as well. Not only that you you as a good are a good candidate for this practice. It has to go both ways for this to be a good fit. And I think so many times people focus on just trying to land the job and not focusing that this is the right job for me. Yeah, and Heather, I cannot overemphasize the importance of working interviews. So just to, to briefly review sort of our process over the years, number one, hopefully that candidate, whether it's a veterinary technician or veterinarian, has reached out to us, and now we've gotten, an, you know, we're interested in seeing a resume. So we've looked at the resume, and we like things about that. The next step that we take with any person, regardless of position, is a telephone interview. And this is really important, especially for those veterinary technician, you know, positions, receptionists, assistants, kennel help, whatever. We really want to understand, you know, can you communicate? Do we connect at some, in some level just on the phone? If we like you, we then bring you in for a uh, working interview. And that working interview is really, like as, as Heather says, it's a bilateral uh, communication event. We are trying to assess your communication, interaction, and a uh, you know, how well you would assimilate within our clinic and you need to be evaluating them. Is this a great place for you? Then finally, we bring you back for another interview. Never marry after the first date. That is a simple rule that I have lived by and it's always served me well. So Heather, just sort of walking through that process, how does yours look? That is the exact same way is that we look at that resume. If we like it, we'll have a phone conversation. If that phone conversation was great, you come in for an interview. But that 
first interview is really a team-oriented interview. More than one person is going to have interaction with you. One person is going to give a tour of the practice. One person is going to ask questions. Another person is going to sit down with the actual interview. Somebody else is going to wrap up the discussion. And the point of that is, is because we want everybody to have an opportunity to kind of view this candidate and see if they're going to be the right team member, the right fit for us. Then if we proceed past that point, we do go into a working interview where we'd like to have them with us at least two to four hours to make sure that this is the right marriage for both of us. Yeah. One thing I haven't heard either of you describe is any attention to social media or a Google search or anything like that. Is that part of your process at this point or no? Um, I definitely know that that's part of the process for some people. I will take a, a first stab at that. And I will tell you that as myself as a practice manager, and of course my background in human resources, I will not look at social media to look at potential candidates. I just think that there's a huge amount of potential um, liability or risk that's associated with that as far as discrimination. And I don't want to put myself in my practice in that position, but I do know a lot of people do look at social media. I think that in our upcoming years that legally that will probably be challenged at some point. But in today's game, it, it is still legal that you can take a look at it if you would like to. You just have to be careful that you're not hiring upon discrimination. That being said, though, it is really, really important that people are not posting immature or improper, unprofessional things on social media because that could completely take them off the position of a potential candidate. Yeah, and uh, and Cindy, it's a great point. And certainly things have changed in the last decade, but we have traditionally um, always done background checks on all doctors, and these include bankruptcy checks, uh, drug arrest checks. I mean, these services are available in our state of North Carolina at a very reasonable cost. There's actually something called NC123 that allows us to do immediate background checks on, on any individual. It's a, a reasonable cost, and we think it's a good investment. Uh, we have uh, begun you know, poking around people's social media the past several years for sure, uh, especially as we near that hiring decision. Uh, we really want to get a, a clear idea of what this person's all about. Maybe there was just something that you know, we were a little unsure about. And, and so, you know, Heather, like you, we are very, very cautious about how this impacts it. Because it is available and legal, we do you know, consider it appropriate at this stage. So we do poke around a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, I, I find that intriguing. And I guess for me and that millennial generation, I have an expanded view of what social media entails. So I'm certainly thinking about LinkedIn as well, which kind of has that intent of being associated with a job hunt and being able to reach out to students I've encountered in, in my speaking and travels. It's been a really great way to get to know them and find ways to connect to them. Um, also with a Google search, sometimes just finding articles they've published or volunteer work they've been associated with, clubs they've been involved with. It's been an interesting way to get to know them. So I, I find that intriguing. But yeah, definitely, of course, always important to make sure we're on the up and up legally. Yeah. And Cindy, the, the where, where I can tell you can benefit you as a prospective employee is to make that connection. Because if you can do a little bit of Googling on Dr. Ernie Ward and you find out that I have a friend who is in your area or in your network, then you can say, hey, Dr. Ward, listen, you know, you may know a friend of mine, Dr. Such and Such. Uh, and listen, you know, I I'd like to, to talk to you about coming to work or whatever it might be. So that makes me kind of question an interesting thing that I've seen here recently, and I'd love to get your opinion on what do you think about including social media links on your resume? I see resumes coming across hiring desks now that have those links included, and obviously that's sort of an open invite. But from the trying to get a job standpoint, is that a good idea or isn't it? 
in my perspective, I, I have a, a hard time with it looking on the human resources side. So please understand that, that legal background that I have and that we do want to be careful. It is great that that open invite is there. I think that relate, releases some of that liability that's associated with it. And again, this is going to be the future law and things that we look at in the future. Right now, today, those links are provided. I think that it's okay to take a look at it. But again, uh, let's just be careful with the way we proceed with it. And that if we don't choose to hire a candidate, that, it, that there's a, a good reason. Right, but use it to your advantage. If you're looking to impress employers, right now you should be building a personal website. You should have some type of LinkedIn you know, profile that actually sells yourself. So if you're going to include that, Becky, in that resume or in that contact form, make sure that it benefits you in the way that you want it to. Yeah. And I think also we want to talk about how relevant is it to what position you're looking for. Social media is becoming sometimes a part of a veterinary job, depending on what you're doing. More and more veterinary clinics are making social media part of their marketing effort or a way for them to connect to clients. Some veterinarians are writing blogs for their practices to kind of build that connection and bond with their clients. So I think you also want to look at why would this be relevant to, to the position and to figure out if it, it makes sense. Cindy, I think that you make a great point there. And especially if they're going to be hired for a social media position or fulfilling that, I do think that that is critical then to the resume and having those links available makes a nice way for the, as you know, it's kind of a reference check per se, that we can look and see the materials that have been generated. All right. Well, I'd like to turn the conversation now to the other side of the employment equation, the employers. Heather, without a doubt, the biggest question that I've gotten over my 25 years of practice ownership is this. Where do you find these great people? So, Heather, I'm going to ask you, where do you find your great people? Oh, gosh, Ernie, great question. That's the that's the million dollar question, especially as Becky alluded to, is that the credentialed technicians are in pretty short supply around the United States. And so that is looking, if, you, if you're lucky to have a school that is near you, it is definitely putting in uh, documentation or ads so that those schools, the graduates of those schools know that you are looking to hire. And that applies to the veterinary schools as well. I also think utilizing the conferences and the conference boards that are available are very important. And then of course, there's a couple different career sites NAFTA has a career site, AVMA has a career site. So several different ones, I think it is important to get the resume posted so that people that are looking to hire have an ability to look at the variable candidates that are out there. Yeah, and, and my advice always to these employers who are asking me that question is, well, you know, I don't know because they always approach me. And that is part of this whole law of attraction. You know, what I was getting at earlier with that, those, those young graduates reaching out and those young veterinary technicians, when you establish yourself as that thing in your area, you identify and create your tribe, your community, people seek you out. So it doesn't matter if you're nationally known or, or just known in your community. When people are looking to work or, or for your services, they know who to go to. So the best best way to get those great people is to be a great clinic, to be a great leader, to have great systems and methodologies. You will naturally begin to attract them because I will tell you, as I, as I sadly have to tell so many young students every year as I lecture across the country, it's that the best jobs never are advertised for. I couldn't agree with you more on that, Dr. Ernie. Um, you know, having a great, we call it the employer brand. When an employer has a great brand, that is where people are standing in line waiting to come work for you. 
And as an employer, that makes hiring easy because then you get to hire the best of the best of those candidates. Absolutely. And I think when you're a great employee, you also have kind of your own brand. There's an amazing veterinary technician, licensed veterinary technician I worked with when I was back in Virginia um, who's looking for a job. And I'm already out there saying in the place I know they want to move. Anytime I run into anyone from that location, I'm asking them, hey, what great clinics do you know in the area? And is anyone hiring? There's an amazing technician I know who's looking for a job. So people know you by your reputation. That's right. And let's, and let's kind of extend that. So now you're that employer. You're trying to attract the best and the brightest, but they're not knocking on your door. Heather, what do the compensation packages look like today? I mean, without the money, I mean, let's assume now that you're paying a competitive wage, but what is it that an employer really needs to be offering to be in the mix for the best? That is another great question. There's The comp packages can vary so much. And what we're learning is that the money is not what is keeping people. It is the culture that is provided, the brand that, that the employers are creating. So some comp packages may include health insurance, plus or minus some life insurance or just disability insurance. There should be some vacation in there. And I think one of the biggest things that is new is, is flex scheduling, meaning that people are looking for something other than a standard eight to five job or nine to six job, and that maybe they're looking for some reduced hours. That is very different than what we've traditionally had in the veterinary practice, which then is a little abnormal for veterinary practices to accept. And I think as we move forward with the with newer generations coming into the practice and wanting this flex schedule, it's up to the employer to try to figure out how to make that work in the practice again so you can still keep the best of the best of the candidates that are coming forward. Yeah, and I couldn't I couldn't agree more, Heather. I mean, this this concept of flex scheduling. I remember back writing articles on this, you know, a decade ago, and and you know, vets sort of we, we get trapped in the traditional mindset of like you said of of the seven to six clinic or whatever. And uh, suddenly today, the world doesn't operate on that same time schedule, and nor do employees want to work that same schedule. So we've got to figure out ways. And and instead of saying, you know, well, golly, these young kids these days want these crazy schedules, we better figure out how to make it work for everybody or the profession is really in trouble. Absolutely. And I want to reach out too and and pick Becky's brain a little bit because I know Becky does some kind of unique work in the veterinary technician field as well. For those folks who are job hunting and maybe looking for something non-traditional or maybe even looking to create their own job, Becky, do you have any advice for those individuals? Yeah, do it. Absolutely do it. Um, I had the fun adventure of starting a relief technician um, or program here in Wilmington where I fill in when I'm in town now and I'm able to and people are short staffed. It was something no one had ever heard of a veterinary technician relief employee. Yeah. And Be Becky, expand on that because what you did was highly innovative and it served a sort of an unmet need in the marketplace. So, so maybe share a little bit with what you did because this might help others. Right. Yeah. So what I decided is just that I, you know, um, wanted to work for myself. I wanted to be my own employer and to see what else was out there and to not be maybe necessarily put in the box of one practice and, and one mindset. And so um, I saw a need for relief technicians. I saw a need for staff falling apart because somebody went on vacation. I saw this culture of resentment when an employee was sick or a child was sick or a vacation was needed because 
because everyone is short staff and everyone's overworked and it wasn't okay. And I said, stop taking it out on your staff and hire someone else to come to your practice. And additionally, you know, there are a lot of um, credentialed and hardworking, experienced technicians out there who have families and only want to work part time or are maybe, you know, have other things going on, but really want to keep up their skills and stay in practice. And relief technician is a thought process and um, a, a profession portion now that is growing within the industry because technicians are saying, hey, I can be in charge of my own schedule. I can also fill a need and I can be an entrepreneur. And, and it was a fun, fun thing to do. Um, a, a hard need to meet though. I, I myself as a technician couldn't meet the needs of all of the people who need a relief throughout the state, even locally. Right. So Becky, again, you are just a wonderful testament to people that want to create their own path. Do it. Heather, speaking of new paths and creating, I mean, what do you see for these young graduates, these young techs, whatever, what do you see their role as far as being entrepreneurs? I mean, obviously you and I are more the employer mindset, but are they creating an entirely new job description? I think they are. And I think it's up to us, the employers, to learn how to accept some of those new job descriptions per se into the hospital to make our hospital or to take our practices to the next level. They bring a different set of skills than what we traditionally have. And I think that it's important that we embody that because not only are those new up and coming technicians part of the newest generation, but that's what our clients also are as well. So I think it's really important to try to embody that, embrace it, and bring it into the practice as much as possible. Yeah, I love change. I love change. Now, Heather, just sort of to, to finish up this conversation today, I'd like to get your concept of the perfect job, the dream job, and how can they go about finding out what their own personal dream is. Because you know, a lot of times people sort of go in and they say, yeah, I'm looking for this perfect job. They have this idealized notion that doesn't match with reality, which leads to burnout and, and leaving the profession. So how can we help this next generation of employees actually get a grip on reality and find the real dream job? I think finding that real dream job involves interviewing that employer just as much as they're interviewing you. Uh, is, do you have the same mission? Do you, say, do you have the same values? Does the team practice those values? And I think that, that a lot of that can be seen through a working interview. Is the culture supportive of innovation and team building and team bonding and really team problem solving? Because to me, that is the dream job. When you're part of a team that is moving the practice in the right direction, that is a dream. It's working in practices that squish innovation, squish the excitement and enthusiasm. That is where we hit burnout so much quicker. So I think that interview is just critical to help build that dream position. Heather, I think you've hit the nail on the head. As a, as a new graduate, for me, so much of the pleasure of being in this field is about the excitement of, of helping animals, the excitement of working with an amazing team, and, and definitely not, well, making a good income is important. Um, at the end of the day, you're spending every day with this this group of people and you're spending long hours at a practice and you want to make it an enjoyable experience. And Heather, while we've got you here today, I couldn't leave you without asking your opinion on the corporatization of the profession. Do you have any opinion one way or the other or how can we make this a success for everyone? I mean, what's your take on the current changes in the profession? Well, I feel that there's room for all of us. There, there are important things that, that corporate veterinary practice does and a lot of that is elevating the standards and it's pushing the private practice into elevating their standards as well. 
But going back to the private practice, we can take a look and see, gosh, we can have such high customer service and personal touch in private practice that sometimes corporate doesn't get to provide. So both of those are going to attract different levels of clients. Ultimately, I think it's really important that individually, whatever practice we're in, corporate or private, that we brand our practice and really drive the good customer service to the clients. As far as the employees, sometimes that corporate experience scares them a little bit, but I don't think it needs to. I think that people should look at it as this is a great area of change. It can challenge us. It can make us get better at what we do. And it also can sometimes simplify processes because things are set in place for specific reasons. So I think that there's both positives and negatives of either private or corporate practice, and it's up to us to make the difference in our own practice. Very well said, and and you're right. This is a great, big, amazing profession with plenty of room for so many and so many unique opportunities that I'm just such a proud, proud member of it. Heather, uh, anything that we missed uh, out that you'd like to add, some last bit of advice? Well, my biggest advice is to go in with confidence Be proud of who you are. And again, really focus on your soft skills, not so much those hard skills because most of your candidates are going to have those those hard skills too. So think about what differentiates you, what makes you better, what makes you a better communicator, what makes you more positive, and really make sure you focus on those talents when you're going in for your, your interviews. Thank you so much for sharing those insights with us and and with all of our listeners. I think that's definitely going to be helpful for them when they find themselves looking for that, that new opportunity out there. We've given you our opinions, and we've certainly shared with you Heather's experiences and expertise, but we really want to hear what you have to say. How do you find your perfect job? What does a great boss really look like? And what disasters have you heard about or maybe even encountered? Please connect with us on social and let us know. You can find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder and on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. And make sure you subscribe. We have a new topic every single week, and you want to make sure not to miss a single episode. And we want to thank Miss Heather Prendergast one more time for taking time to join us today. Don't forget to join us next time for another great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. I liked it. I get a check on Friday, but it's already spent. Working for a living, working, working for a living, working for a living, living, and working. I'm taking what they're giving, cause I'm working for a living. Whoa.